So is anybody suffering from too much encouragement lately? <laughs> Any of you just brimming over with uh, joy and peace and hope just kind of constantly, especially of late? Okay, all right. Um, well, you came to the right place. So our hope is under pressure these days, isn't it? It's threatened. So there's like no end in sight immediately to all these coronavirus conditions and you know politically economically hopes are not particularly high regardless of who wins in November internationally it seems like global threats are rising wildfires are raging on in the West injustice and violence rage on protests rage on social media and even civil discourse civic <laughs> it's not civil civic discourse rages on with vitriol and hate and incivility so it can be easy to become discouraged and depressed and even hopeless and despondent so you may find yourself wanting things to go back to normal again maybe you're even finding yourself nostalgic for better times past well in this fallen broken world our circumstances oftentimes can crush us in a moment and our hope is just you know bled out or circumstances can kind of slowly press down on us and squeeze us and produce stress fractures and our hope just slowly bleeds out and we eventually run dry and we're flat but pressure actually for Christians is intended ironically enough to produce hope not bleed it out ultimately not crush it or steal it so we're going to look at Romans 15:13 that's kind of our primary passage but i want to see a little bit of context I want us to look at a little bit of context in Romans 5 and then a little bit of context in Romans 15 so if you want to turn back to Romans 5 and look at the first 5 verses with me here so Paul writes therefore since we have been justified by faith made right with God if you're trusting in Jesus you're a Christian you are reconciled to God you're right before God you're right with God not because of your works but because of what Jesus did for you on the cross we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God there's that hope word more than that we rejoice in our sufferings what knowing you've got to know something if you're going to rejoice in your sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us so wh what does that mean maybe we wish that strong and confident lifelong hope could just kind of be downloaded into our brains the moment we become a Christian and we would never struggle again but that's not how it works I mean certainly if you become a Christian the objective hope of glory like when you die it's the grave doesn't win Jesus gets the last word and just as he rose from the dead we are gonna be raised from the dead and live forever with him in a new creation, new heavens, a new earth, all things new, everything set to rights. So that objective hope is ours, but our internal confidence, kind of like what Russell was talking about, our confident expectation of those things can ebb and flow. 
right? So when things are easy, do we always hope in God? Sometimes when things are easy, we neglect to hope in God because we've got so much to look forward to and we hope more in the promise of relationships in our lives or prospects at work or promises of this pleasure or hobby or upcoming event. And our hope in God can sometimes go to the back burner and our hope ends up getting kind of diversified and diluted. But when things are hard, when suffering comes, other hopes go like bubbles, they just pop. And we can feel hopeless, but what happens is God is aiming to refocus our hope on the only sure and solid foundation. So he's making sure that our, li our lives are not like a card house. He's intending to focus our hopes and strengthen our hope in him, his character, his promises. He alone is ultimately our hope. So when suffering comes, it can actually train our hope on him and we can become more aware that our real life, our real citizenship, our real solid ground is with him and ultimately one day we're citizens of heaven. The new creation is our future hope. And when that happens, you can be strong to endure the sufferings and challenges of this life. I mean, certainly we wish suffering would go away quicker. Um, God's timing is not ours. Oftentimes his ways can confuse us and disorient us. But he is totally faithful and we can trust his promises. He will never default on a promise. Which brings us to Romans 15. So flip ahead to Romans 15 and we'll look first at verse 4. Paul writes there, he says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. There's that word again. And then verses 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just notice a few things. There's a lot here, but just a few things. Look at verse 4. We have hope through endurance. You see? That's like chapter 5. It's actually strengthened through endurance suffering and endurance. Hope also comes through the encouragement of the scriptures. It's where we hear about all the promises that stabilize us. The, it's where we learn about the faithfulness of God. And then also look at verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement. So do you see through endurance and encouragement? Verse 4. May the God of endurance and encouragement. Verse 5. Same words. So the God of endurance and encouragement gives us his word for the sake of our hope. I mean, where else is real endurance, real encouragement going to come from? In fact, when we rely on other people or things or circumstances for our ultimate endurance and encouragement, what happens is those things sometimes let us down. Those bubbles pop. And so our hope is fragile. So God wants our hope to be solid and secure in Him. He is the source of our encouragement and true endurance. 
So we need to find our endurance and encouragement in, in him, from him. And that will feed our hope, which leads us to the next point here. It's no wonder in Romans 15, down in verses 12 and 13, that God is called the God of hope. Okay, so pick up in verse 12. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Okay, this is the messianic king. This is David's son. It's going to be Jesus, right? Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And then verse 13, our verse, focus verse here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So our hope is in Christ. Verse 12, God is the source of all true and living hope. Verse 13, so we pray to him. We ask and seek and knock so that we can be buoyant, not like that boat, but you can't even see it. This boat's a little more buoyant. That one is already sunk. I think all the sailors are dead at the bottom of the sea. So we pray to the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we can be buoyant, we can, be, we can abound in hope. So we need God to give us the joy and the peace like ballast in a boat. Do you know that a boat needs, in a sense, enough downward weight to be stable? You know that? So it needs upward push, the buoyancy, but it also needs ballast for stability. Like if a boat's really top-heavy and it doesn't have ballast, I, I was going to show you, but you know, nobody can see it. So I would just kind of be playing in the water and I'll do that after the service is over. So you need ballast and buoyancy. And so the Lord fills us up with joy and peace and he gives us hope. Isn't it beautiful that he wants to give us all of those things so we can pray for those things and he's going to answer those prayers in the midst of times like this or whatever kind of times we face. So hope, like Tom Schreiner says, hope ultimately cannot be produced by human beings. It's, it's given by God. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. So we pray. And when we believe the scriptures, when we saturate our souls in God's word, those promises, the character of God, very much unlike Lucy, God's character is totally trustworthy. He never breaks a promise. Our hope starts to rise. It gets strong and confident. So when God's grace is real to us, it's active in us by the power of the Spirit. As we believe in God's promises, we will abound in hope. Do you see that there at the end of verse 13? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And this hope will never disappoint you. Placing our hopes in people and things will inevitably disappoint. You know, the world, flesh, and the devil, they always overpromise and underdeliver. But God never underdelivers. He always delivers on his promises. I mean, even good hopes in this world are terribly fragile, aren't they? Suffering and circumstances and ultimately death will blow up all of our hopes if our hope is not in God. So let's pray to God. Let's trust in God so that our hope is solid and secure. 
Hoping in him will never disappoint us. So I think sometimes we think hope in God, the blessed hope, you know, 1 Peter 1.13 says, set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. And it's like, ah, that's so far out there. I mean, I know I need to do that, but something that hit me just very recently that was really encouraging. Yes, that's huge. That future hope is huge. And we need to set our hope fully on that future that is ours. Because even if you're sick, you're going to be eternally healthy. Even if you're lonely, you're going to be eternally in perfect communion, loving society with God and his people forever. Okay, so you see how that future hope is very practical for today. But also, hoping in God for now is also a confident expectation of future good five minutes from now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When? Five minutes from now. Five hours from now. Five days from now. You can have confident expectation and hope in God that he's going to make good on his promises to be with you. Even if you go through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll be with you. So do you see how we can confidently hope in him forever and for the next five minutes, five hours, five days, five weeks, five months, five years, the rest of our lives? So are you, is there any seed in your heart of pessimism about God and his ability to help you? Let's just pray that thing right out. <laughs> because he wants us to abound in hope. He wants to fill us with joy and peace and believing. So I'm going to close with a story that I think will pull all this together. It's a little bit of a longer read, but I think you'll, you'll track and appreciate it. So The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. He was a Scottish author and minister in the 1800s. His theology wasn't solid in a few places, but he could write some good fiction. So anyway, um, so the main character is this eight-year-old little girl named Irene. And she is the princess, okay? Um, actually, the princess. And in the attic of her house, there's this fairy grandmother, not godmother, grandmother, um, who sometimes appears. And on occasion, her fairy grandmother gives her, on one occasion, her fairy grandmother gave her an invaluable gift, a ring with a fine gossamer thread, you know, like spider web thin thread, magical thread attached. So here we go. Irene looked at the ring. I can't see the thread, grandmother, she said. Feel a little way from the ring. If ever you find yourself in danger, you must take off your ring and put it under the pillow of your bed. Then you must lay your finger, the same that wore the ring, upon the thread and follow the thread wherever it leads you. Oh, how delightful. It will lead me to you, grandmother. I know. Yes, but remember, it may seem to you a very roundabout way indeed. And you must not doubt the thread. Of one thing you may be sure, that while you hold it, I hold it too. So early one morning, the princess woke in a terrible fright. There was a hideous noise in her room, creatures snarling and hissing. The moment she came to herself, she remembered something. What her grandmother told her to do when she was frightened, she immediately took off her ring, put it under her pillow, then feeling with the forefinger of her right, right hand, soon found her grandmother's thread, which she proceeded at once to follow, expecting it would lead her straight up the old stair to the attic, right? 
Then to her surprise and somewhat to her dismay, she found that instead of leading her towards the stair, it turned in quite the opposite direction. So it led her out of the house and straight up the mountain and at first things were familiar and smooth, but then the path grew rougher and steeper and the mountain grew wilder till Irene began to think she was going a very long way from home. But still on went the thread and on went the princess. Then she saw that the little stream ran out of a hole in that rock, that the path did not go past the rock, and that the thread was leading her straight up to it. A shudder ran through her from head to foot when she found that the thread was actually taking her into the hole out of which the stream ran. She had to go on. Right into the hole she went. For a little way there was a, br a brown glimmer, but at the first turn it all but ceased, and before she had gone many paces she was in total darkness. Then she began to be frightened indeed. Listen carefully to this paragraph. Every moment she kept feeling the thread backwards and forwards, and as she went farther and farther into the darkness of the great hollow mountain, she kept thinking more and more about her grandmother and all that she had said to her and how kind she had been and how beautiful she was and all about her lovely room and the great lamp that sent its light through stone walls. And she became more and more sure that the thread could not have gone there of itself <coughs> and that her grandmother, oh boy. <laughs> I'm following the thread, all right. And that her grandmother must have sent it. <clears throat> so someone actually commented on that little section and said, as she re recollects her grandmother and all that she knows of her, it's as if she runs her hand along that memory and feels of it. And in feeling and knowing and recalling the character of her great-grandmother, she can trust that whatever has come from her must indeed be trusted. But it tried her dreadfully when the path went down very steep and especially when she came to places where she had to go through one narrow passage after another over lumps of rock and sand and clay. The thread guided her until she came to a small hole through which she had to creep. Shall I ever get back, she thought, over and over again. But presently she came to a huge heap of stones piled in a slope against the wall of the cavern. On these she climbed, only to find that the thread vanished through the heap of stones and left her standing with her face to the solid rock. For one terrible moment... She felt as though her grandmother had forsaken her. The thread had left her, had gone where she could no longer follow it, had brought her into a horrible cavern and there left her. She was forsaken indeed. She threw herself upon the heap and began to cry. At length the thought struck her that at least she could follow the thread backwards and thus get out of the mountain and get home. She rose at once, found the thread, but the instant she tried to feel it backwards, it vanished from her touch. Forwards it led her into the heap of stones. Backwards it seemed to go nowhere. She burst into a wailing cry and again threw herself down on the stones. So after realizing and accepting that the fact that the only way forward was through the rock, she started to tear those stones down one at a time, this wall that was in her way, until her fingers were bleeding. And then suddenly she heard a voice that turned out to be her friend, Curdie who had been trapped by the goblins in the cave. And Curdie just can't believe that Irene found her and asks, how in the world did you come here? And Irene tells her that grandmother sent me. And now I know why the path was so circuitous. 
And so once Irene pulls away enough stones for Curdie to get out, Curdie wants to return by the way that Irene has come, but Irene keeps going deeper into the cave, and Curdie says, where are you going? That's the way I couldn't get out. But Irene says, I know that, but this is the way my thread goes, and I must follow it. And, of course, the thread proves trustworthy. Why? Because the grandmother proves trustworthy. So remember that section, every moment she kept feeling the thread backwards and forwards and as she went farther and farther into the darkness of the great hollow mountain she kept thinking more and more about her grandmother and all that she had said to her and how kind she had been and she became more and more sure that the thread could not have been there of itself and that her grandmother must have sent it. So the scriptures telling us of the character of God are given to us that we might have hope and we can pray that the God of hope will fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. So, brothers and sisters, let's ask and seek and knock and watch God help us not only survive through our present circumstances, but thrive.